for the sixth time, I am not Joe Flacco. This is not Joe Flacco, the podcast. Welcome aboard, boys and girls. Hope you enjoy the ride today. We are talking about the all-decade offense. I got some bones to pick. We are talking about Antonio Brown in his prime. And we're talking about whether or not the NFL is rigged. Did it a little different today. The first two topics, no user questions. These just came from me. But wait till the last minute of the podcast. And you'll hear exactly the best argument to use if you ever run into somebody who says the league is or isn't rigged. Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, leave a rating. Episode 6 of Nacho Flacco, the podcast, is brought to you lovingly by people who use the word seent, as in, I seent him. I've seent that. It's not a fucking word. I saw that. I saw him. Seent, not a word since forever. Okay, so this isn't a user question, but obviously some we actually have NFL news for the first time since maybe the start of free agency. And the news is that they put out the all-decade team for the 20 teens, so 2010 to 2019. And I've got – they did a really good job. I'm actually mostly proud of them. I've got a couple nitpicks as you can probably imagine the uh and w- one of them you know might surprise you so we'll work backwards to the quarterbacks uh, we'll start with Darren Foles or uh, Darren Sproles no issues up there in the all-time leaders in terms of all-purpose yards you know, running returning rushing returning receiving the four quarter, the four running backs, I think they got perfectly. Gore, in alphabetical order, Gore, Lynch, McCoy, Adrian Peterson. I was surprised. I didn't realize that LaShawn McCoy led the decade in rushing. That, that surprised me. As I'm kind of getting, as I keep doing more of this, and I've got to answer more of your guys' questions. Also, send in some fucking questions. That... Um, I'm surprised by some things. So yeah, so McCoy leading the uh, McCoy leading the the decade in rushing kind of blew me away. My first issue with the with the all offense all decade offense is at tight end and Gronk, who I think is the the best tight end of all time. Spo- spoiler alert. Um. Obvious no-brainer for me. The Kelsey is the number two. Seems off to me. 
and and I thought that there there was there had to be somebody else, and I couldn't quite like it didn't spring to mind, and I think that sometimes these lists end up getting screwed up by how players are playing right now, because Kelsey got in, but Jimmy Graham had an amazing decade and also happens to be hot garbage right now. Ask any Bears fan if they're if they're happy that Jimmy Graham is their new tight end. Ask any Packers fan what they think of Jimmy Graham. But he had an amazing decade. Second in receptions. Kelsey was sixth. Graham was first in yards. Kelsey was fifth. Graham was second in touchdowns. But Kelsey got in. And I don't I don't know why. Kelsey obviously didn't play as many years in the decade as Graham, but that's not Graham's fault. And we'll see when we get to the wide receivers that there's one wide receiver that only played half the decade but still had incredible stats even given half the playing time. And so I would have I would have gone with Gronk and Jimmy Graham as my all-decade offense team. I think it's really silly to leave off a guy like Jimmy Graham who was second in receptions, first in yards, second in touchdowns. That's There's no aberrations in there. There's nothing that's that, – that's – it's not like he was first in touchdowns and 12th in yards and 15th in receptions. It's not like he was just a red zone threat. I mean, Jimmy Graham was the, this an evolution of a tight end that we hadn't really seen before. He was he was not a he was not a blocker. Um didn't line up on the line of scrimmage as much as most guys, but was the precursor to Travis Kelsey. And I think that the voters who, you know, whoever the voters ended up being for this, um, gave the gave it to the 2.0 version when the when the original was right there. So I this is why I always like the original movies more than the sequels. Back to the Future One is better than either of the other two. Rocky One is the best movie, but three is my favorite. But one is the best movie. And on and on. The wide receivers bothered me. And because it just it didn't feel right. I've made a post before about Larry Fitzgerald that probably got me as many unfollows as uh, as any post I've ever had. There's a there's a there's an emotional connection that people seem to have with Larry Fitzgerald that I think he, as a Niners fan or just as someone who has looked at his stats, um, (laughs) uh, doesn't have. And, you know, so Fitzgerald played the most games in the decade at wide receiver. So let's just go through this. Uh, Antonio Brown, no issue with Calvin Johnson and Julio. So we'll get to, we'll get to Fitz and, um, and Calvin Johnson. Uh, let's just go back. We'll start with Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson in five years was still 
sixth in touchdowns for the decade. That's remarkable. And was and was up there in in yards, was up there in receptions, even with only five years. And it just goes to show how just how fucking talented that guy was. And what a shame it was that that he retired so early, but you know, he was also really, really banged up. Uh Antonio Brown. And I think I, I'm I'm obviously higher on Antonio Brown than a lot of people because uh, you know, I, I kind of expect crazy behavior. I you know, I, I was a Niners fan when Terrell Owens was around, so I kind of expect craziness from wide receivers. And even Jerry Rice was was a diva. But Antonio Brown, I think, was the best wide receiver of the decade. Julio was number two. Um, But then there's this tight, really tight grouping around uh, with Fitz. So Fitzgerald, Demarius Thomas, A.J. Green, and DeAndre Hawkins. I think those... I think Fitz's spot is the fourth spot. I don't think he was clearly running running away with one of the top three spots. I definitely don't think he was one of the top three receivers of the decade. So, uh, to me, he was obviously the fourth the fourth spot there. And you've got Demarius Thomas. So uh, Fitzgerald had ten thousand yards, sixty one touchdowns, eight hundred and fifty five catches. Uh, Demarius Thomas seven hundred and twenty four receptions so 130 less receptions he played less he played uh, about 15 less games 150 less receptions almost as many yards nine nine thousand seven hundred yards and more touchdowns plus he's got the ring and so for me Demarius Thomas narrowly edges out Larry Fitzgerald for the fourth spot more efficient with his passes, more touchdowns, and has the ring. I think that's a better story for the decade than Larry Fitzgerald, who has just been catching a lot of short passes lately. Since he was like 29, he's basically turned into a tight end or Julian Edelman. Sorry. YouTube has seen the allergies act up. Um but AJ Green also 602 receptions, so he only played 111 games, so 47 less games than than Fitz. But almost 9,000 yards, so 47 less games, but only a thousand less yards, and still 63 touchdowns. No ring. Obviously, didn't play as many games. Again, I would Demarius Thomas again is kind of the same way that I think what happened with Jimmy Graham is that you know we forget what happened because Larry Fitzgerald is still playing he gets the he gets the bump because Kelsey is still playing he gets the bump they're fresher in our minds and but I think AJ Green is vastly under I mean and AJ Green being hurt this last year and not playing I think obviously hurts him because if he'd gone out and put up another eighty catches another 1,000 yards, 1,200 yards, and seven touchdowns, all of a sudden, A.J. Green is at 680 catches, 10,000 and change, 10,001 yards, and 70 touchdowns. And if A.J. Green plays in 2019, I think his argument for being one of the top, being one of the 
um, all decade wide receivers is up there. And I might even, if he'd played this year, I might've even bumped him above Demarius Thomas, but I'm gonna go with Demarius Thomas as the fourth spot. And then we get to the quarterback and Brady and Rogers feels right. Uh, Rogers has the, um, has the MVPs. Brady's obvious. But it came down to, to Rodgers and Breeze. And I think Rodgers, listen, Rodgers, this is the Rodgers decade. And this is the only full decade he's played in. I think that he's the better, the superior quarterback with a superior career to Drew Breeze. And so I'm going to be consistent and keep Rodgers in the grouping. But it was tough because Breeze led the decade in touchdowns. But I came across something that was, to me, absolutely bananas. Is that Aaron Rodgers only threw one pick six all decade. And Breeze threw 17. Now I'm not I'm not saying that you know you should you should make your entire vote off of that one narrow stat. But it was that's remarkable. One pick six in 10 years. And Drew Brees threw almost two per season. But I think it's I think it's it's not that Brees threw too many. It's that holy shit, Aaron Rodgers only threw one pick six in 10 years. So just to go through the all-decade offense, they have Brady and Rodgers, which I agree with, even though Breeze is closer than I expected him to be. They've got Antonio Brown, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones. They've got Fitz. I'd prefer Demarius Thomas, and I'd probably even prefer A.J. Green if he actually played 2019. Gronk is a no-brainer in more ways than one. Kelsey, I would swap out for Jimmy Graham, who again, second in receptions, first in yards, second in touchdowns. The running backs, they got perfectly. The four guys they picked were all the leading four rushers for um, for the decade. And there's no holes. There's no holes there. And then Sproles, one of the all-time great do-it-all guys, rushing, receiving, and returning. So I think they, I think they got the all-decade team mostly right. Big, I think they got a big miss on on Kelsey. And, you know, I'm not going to argue too much over Fitz versus Demarius Thomas. I'd probably rather, I'd rather have had Demarius Thomas's decade if I was, if I was, had to choose between the two of them. Um, but, you know, Fitz is an all-timer as well. So there's my, there's my recap of the all-decade offense. Thanks for listening. So one of my followers on IG asked me what I thought or how how prime Antonio Brown would stack up against. I forget who it was. But I wrote it down in my little book. I've got a little a little book where I'm trying to keep track of topics for the pod and and uh, YouTube. And I said I responded on on my story with prime AB over nearly everybody. And I thought that that probably, because I got some DMs, 
And obviously there's some people that, that, I mean, we know he's crazy and there's some people that, that think he's overrated, but those people are severely wrong. So if you look at the first nine years of somebody's career, (laughs) AB, if you take all wide receivers throughout all of history, AB is fifth all time, all time through his first nine years in yards. Third in yards per game, second in catches, and 11th in touchdowns. Those are all-time numbers. And by that, I mean, like, those are really fucking good numbers that you don't just, you don't just, like, put those up by accident. That's a nine-year run where you're fifth all-time in yards, 11th in touchdowns, third in yards per game, and second in catches. That is a that is monstrous output. So then, but that's not even his prime, because AB didn't really get started until year four. And I think that that late start is what has prompted some of the craziness, because he's been really underpaid for a while. And that, when you're as good as he is, when you're an all-time great, that's going to gnaw you. Because the same thing that makes these guys good, the same thing that makes these guys great, the same things that makes them work out 250 days a year, doing two-a-days in the offseason, is the competition. Is because they want to be better than the next guy over, and it's a it's a pathological thing that you 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 only see from you know big business people and and you know it's like there's it's the difference between like me doing this little jerk off podcast and like Stephen A. Smith. Like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to talk about stuff for ten minutes. Stephen A. does eight hours of airtime a day between radio and TV and podcasts and everything else. He's maniacal about it. This is a fucking hobby for me. Now, the gap isn't that big in the NFL, but you've got guys like AB that are maniacal about how they work. That's how you end up going from a sixth-round pick to one of the greatest receivers of all time. So let's look at his actual prime when you when you factor out those first three seasons. Number two in yards, number one in receptions, this is a five-year run. Or, yeah, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Six-year run. So between years four and nine of his career, and looking at all wide receivers throughout history, he's second in yards, first in receptions, fourth in TDs, second in yards per game, fourth. And then four first-team All-Pros. And the four first-team All-Pros in and of itself is huge because remember this is they've there's only two first team all pro wide receivers there's only two of these spots so the top two receivers for any given year and we know how competitive the last 10 years have been for wide receivers i mean calvin johnson larry fitzgerald demarius thomas andre johnson deandre hopkins Randy Moss was at the end of his career. 
Terrell Owens was still playing as of a few years ago. The wide receivers have never, the, the quality of wide receivers in the league has never been this good, top to bottom. But Antonio Brown, and it's never been easier to throw the football, but Antonio Brown, in his first nine years, ranks third in first-team All-Pro. So in his first nine years, Jerry Rice had seven first-team All-Pro, which is bonkers. Terrell Owens, who's my number two greatest wide receiver of all time, four first-team All-Pro. And Antonio Brown, four first-team All-Pro. Now, we just talked about how his prime didn't even really get started until year four. So out of those six years between year four and year nine, he won the he won all pro four years. Just an incredible run of and an incredible run of consistency and production. Like a ton of guys can put up really, really good numbers and then have one year where they just fucking ball the fuck out. Antonio Brown did it every single year. And then he went crazy. Like, actually, that shit insane. And it's a shame, too, because I had him on my fantasy team as a keeper in an auction league where I didn't have to pay much for him. Like this tiny, tiny little baby of a cap hit. And I got the best receiver in football. And I got that for like four or five years. But then he went crazy and ruined my fantasy team. But I don't hold it against him because people ask me who are my favorite, who who have been my favorite non-49ers to watch. And I always go back to Antonio Brown. And part of it is because I bought so low on him in fantasy. And I had to I had to I basically spent five straight years rooting for Antonio Brown. He's really fucking fun to have like on your team when his brain is right. <laughs> but it's not. So hopefully, if you've been underrating Prime Antonio Brown, you fix that because Prime Antonio Brown is one of the five, six greatest receivers of all time. And that might even be underrating him. Four all pros in six years is phenomenal. And we don't we don't see that very often. Um, anyways, thanks for listening. Let's get to the next question. Hello, Mr. Not Joe. It's Elway here again. And, um, here asking you about a bit of a theory. So you do bring up in a podcast episode four that it will be easier for first seed teams to make Super Bowl. The Ravens do have the easiest schedule next year, and it's quite obvious they're trying to get Lamar to get to uh, the golden boy of the NFL, and they're going to want to put a ring on him as soon as possible while he is still elusive, fast, before uh, maybe the injury happens or the body starts breaking down. So do you think that the NFL is trying to help push Lamar with the first seed and the Ravens to get the Super Bowl? So, you know, I guess more viewers, viewership in a way, you know, Roger Goodell is never going to turn down an opportunity for views. And Lamar Jackson is 
probably going to be the answer seeing a player with the talent like him. So is the NFL pushing the Ravens to the Super Bowl? What are your thoughts? Well, Edgy Elway, thanks for the question. For the YouTube folks, Edgy Elway's asking, do I think the NFL's rigged in favor of the Ravens? So I'm not even going to worry necessarily about the Ravens. I'll talk. I'll I'll answer that a little bit. Let's just talk about the NFL being rigged. Get this stuff out of your head. The NFL is not rigged. It's filled with humans that make mistakes. That if you were to line up all those mistakes in a row, I guess you could find you could kind of see a pattern of helping some teams. But for every person that hates the Patriots and thinks the Patriots have, you know, it's like, oh, the Patriots wouldn't be winning all these Super Bowls if not for, for Goodell. But Goodell's handed down enough punishment for the Patriots to impact their franchise and their team and cost them a bunch of money. So you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, look at this. The NFL is rigged, but then forget all of the things that the NFL has done to impact the Patriots. <clears throat> Deflate gate, which was basically bullshit, um, among other things. All right. So the scenario we've left here. So let's just say that the NFL is rigged. Let's just. For the sake of argument, we'll go with that. <clears throat> so that means that Roger Goodell somehow has convinced 32 billionaires that he works for, but yet he's convinced them that the best way to put more money in their pockets is for 31 of them to agree that one specific team needs to win for the good of the league. I don't buy it. One, billionaires don't like being told what to do. I've never met a billionaire. I've met a few millionaires. And they really fucking hate being put into a box. They've got the money to make their own decisions. Run their shit the way they want to run it. And they're competitive as hell. That's the only way you get to the top of... I mean, we're talking about people who are also at the top of their profession. You know, Jed York aside. But these guys are extremely successful. Have done incredibly well for themselves over the course of their lifetime and their career. To put them in a spot to be one of 32... Well, 31 if you pull the Packers out. 31 privately held teams in the league. And you think they're just going to sit around and let some fucking lawyer just kind of blow smoke up their ass and be like, oh, this is going to put an extra couple million in your pocket? No, the whole point of owning these franchises is there's two. One is to say, I own an NFL franchise and be the big swing dick around all your friends. The other reason to do it is if those competitive juices are no longer uh, quenched or the, 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 the competitive thirst is no longer quenched by business. Now it, now you've got to go out there and run the Cowboys or run the Titans or the Giants. 
So I don't think Goodell has the power you think he's got, and I don't think he's got the backing you think he's got. He works for them, not the other way around. And there's no way he's convinced all 31 plus the Packers, 32 owners, to just sit back and go, I got this. Roger Goodell is there to be a whipping boy for the press. He's there to be a whipping boy for the players. He's a figurehead. They can replace him tomorrow, and the league would just keep on humming. He's paid handsomely for that, $45 million a year. Gets lifetime health care, even though the players don't. But he's a whipping boy. He's an errand boy. He's just an overcompensated errand boy. So let's just say, okay, the NFL is rigged, and it's been rigged for 10 years. How many people at the NFL are aware of the rigging in this scenario? You've got to probably have the head of officiating, all 32 owners, um, X amount of officials that have been paid to do this, that, and the other. That's that's impossible to keep a secret that big. How many how many millions of dollars could you make as an official or the head of officiating or some, something else to spill the beans and say, I've got this. I'm going to write a book about how. Roger Goodell has rigged the NFL. There's no way. That's a $10 million book advance right there. Some Plus the movie deals, plus fucking all of it. That's 10 to $20 million. You're telling me some umpire, you know, headlines judge, is turning down 20 mil to prove that the NFL's rigged? If the NFL was rigged, we'd know about it by now. Like, there would have been an expose. It would have come out. There's there's too many disgruntled employees throughout the NFL for this of not to have leaked out. And the old saying about two people can p- keep a secret as long as one of them dead is dead. Well, that's two people. We're talking about potentially tens or over 100 people that would have to know about this conspiracy that would have to be conspiring to manipulate the NFL the way that they do. And then the ball has to bounce the right way on top of things. It's a funny shaped football. Does all sorts of weird shit. Injuries happen. All sorts of weird shit happens. Also, what's the point? So but but what now we get to what is the point? What would be the point of rigging the NFL? These guys are making money hand over fist. You get caught rigging the game, you potentially lose all of that because now, now you're the mob. You're going to jail, like big boy jail. You get caught rigging these, manipulating all of that, betting money, manipulating all of that. It's interstate. I mean, these, this, is, this would be a federal crime to manipulate this. Fraud, everything that they've been selling the TV networks, Oh, do you think the TV networks are in on it? Well, now, however, now you've got four different TV networks that all have their own people that know about it. There's no way. Again, what's the point? Why would you risk billions of dollars this year and, and then every year into the future over adding a rating point, over adding a couple... 100,000 to the new Super Bowl ad or another million to the cost of the new Super Bowl ad? None of this is worth it. 
Edgy always brings up specifically the Ravens. And thinking that they've given the Ravens there the easiest possible schedule. The schedules are just were the schedules for this year were decided 10 years ago when they when they did the last round of realignment. You play a rotating list of other divisions and then the other two teams that finished in the same spot in the standings that you did in their own division. So the third place in the AFC East plays the third place in the AFC West every year. Obviously the teams change, so the schedule looks a little different, but you get the idea. So there's no schedule manipulation here going on to help the Ravens. And I would like to point you to the best case that the NFL is not rigged. And I could have started with this, but I needed to chew up about nine minutes of airtime. And here we are at the nine-minute mark. The best case against the NFL ever being rigged is that the most popular team, America's team, in the country, the most popular team in the country, hasn't won a Super Bowl since 19. 1995. You want to drive ratings? Put the Cowboys in the fucking Super Bowl. Hell, let them win a couple playoff games. Romo, if the NFL was rigged, Tony Romo would be Tom Brady. But he's not. He's a younger Chris Collinsworth. So no. I mean, what about the Jets or the Bears? Those are other big market teams. They haven't won shit. But the Cowboys, it ends with the Cowboys. If the NFL was rigged, the Cowboys would have been on a run like the Patriots the last 20 years. Meeting adjourned. Thanks for listening. If you've made it this far, I appreciate it. I hope you liked what I had to say. If you didn't like it, I hope you come back next week and hear more of the stupid shit that comes out of my mouth. Thanks for listening. Go ahead, like, subscribe, review, whatever you got to do. Help me get that podcast clout. Thanks, guys. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.